This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Imagine a tasting platter with different dishes from around the world. You give it a spin, and it lands on India. You take a bite, and you taste coriander, saffron, and turmeric. You spin it again, and you land on a Lebanese dish. This time, you taste cumin, cinnamon, and sumac. You get hints of lemongrass, basil, and chili from Thailand on your third spin. And on your last, you end up in the U.S. with cinnamon, nutmeg, and cloves just in time for fall. But how we spice our food doesn't just vary from place to place. It also changes from person to person. I'm a frequent visitor of the Spice House on Wells, which has spices from all over the world. So it helps me to make some new choices and trying new types of spices. My new favorite is star anise. Very pungent, very aromatic, and um, enjoying all the new spices I'm learning to cook with. I'm interested in trying really pretty much every and any spice. But by far, my favorite spice would have to be cumin. I love it in the powdered form and in the seed form. And I'll be honest with you guys, I put it on everything. Favorite spice currently is sumac. We had it in some salad at a fantastic Turkish restaurant. So we've recently purchased it and put it on everything. Salad, meat, you name it. There's two spices that I've tried recently, and one of them is dried sumac. Delicious. I got it from a Native American recipe uh, here in uh, eastern Washington, so it's really cool. And then I've got za'atar used in uh, Middle Eastern dishes and growing up in the Pacific Northwest in the 50s and 60s. We sure didn't even know about these spices. Thanks for all those messages. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, spice consumption per capita among Americans has more than tripled since 1966. And spices aren't just about taste. They can also be beneficial to our health. One 2019 study from the Journal of AOAC International, that's a food chemist's association, found that certain spices can lower the risk of chronic disease and fight inflammation. So how can you incorporate spices into your dishes at home? And what's the best way to build a spice cabinet while learning about the spices you might want to put in it? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast. This episode was originally broadcast from KUNC in Greeley, Colorado. We've got a lot to cover. We'll be back after this short break. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. 
Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Let's get into the conversation and welcome our guests. Joining us in our studios in Washington, D.C. for this conversation is Angel Gregorio. She owns The Spice Suite. That's a spice shop in Northeast D.C. Angel, it's great to have you. Peace. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Lior Lev Sirkars. He's a chef and the owner of La Boite. That's a spice shop in New York City. He's also the author of Mastering Spice, Recipes and Techniques to Transform Your Everyday Cooking. Lior, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Gita Maker-Clark. She's the Director of Integrative Nutrition and Advocacy at North Shore University Health System. She's also co-director of the Culinary Medicine Program at the University of Chicago. Dr. Maker-Clark, it's great to have you back. Thanks for having me. Okay, Leo, let's just start with the basics. What makes something a spice? My definition or our definition of Laboite is very different than any dictionary for us, anything that is dry that we can uh, season food with, and when I say food, sweet, savory, uh, and, and beverages, is a spice. So the traditional seeds and grains and rhizomes, but also vinegar and meat and fish and cheese in our La Boite uh, dictionary are considered a spice. Angel, what about for you? How do you think about what qualifies as a spice? Yeah, same. We define it the same way. Um, anything you can use to flavor something edible We consider it a spice. Now, I have to ask, since it's fall and we've got some listeners who have very strong (laughs) feelings about this, Lior, do you think of pumpkin spice as, as a spice? It took me a few years to understand the concept of pumpkin spice. I thought it was, A, it had pumpkin in it, and two, that it was used for pumpkin. And I've learned that it's nor one or the other. Uh, but 21 years in this country, I've learned to uh, accept pumpkin spice. We also make one. Uh, and uh, it's a blend. So it's a spice blend like many other blends with, with names and different names. And I think that you could do whatever you'd like with it. Angel, what, what kinds of things do we use spices for? Oh, I think we can use spices for everything. I'm the girl who seasons my salad, right? <laughs> it can be with lettuce, spices. tomato, cucumber. Yeah, and I'll add sumac. Um, to a salad. I'll add ginger to a salad if I wanted to go in like a more Asian direction, depending on the dressing that I'm using. And then when when you think about balsamic vinaigrettes, right, a really good balsamic is also seasoned well. So that goes on your salad. So in essence, we are seasoning our salads. You can season fruit. I mean, other cultures, you know, they put spice blends on like mango and pineapples and things. When you travel, you see folks um, on the side of the road selling certain um, veggies and fruits that are seasoned. And I think we just have a more um, mainstream view of how we season things here in this country and in other places, which is why I love to travel. You get to explore all the possibilities. Dr. Maker-Clark, what health benefits can spices offer us? Yeah, so I think the reason that humans are so drawn to spices is whether or not you understand what the specific health benefits are, we know that we often feel better when we include them. 
And I will make the, the distinction that there's a difference between herbs and spices, because sometimes we use those interchangeably, and I might in the conversation today. But herbs come from the leaves of a plant, whereas the spices, like cinnamon, for instance, come from the bark or seeds berries or the roots of a plant. So it's just different parts of the plant, whether we call it an herb or a spice. But a lot of times we'll use those those terms interchangeably. And to your question about, you know, what are the health benefits? These compounds that are found in spices are very rich in phytochemicals, which are healthy plant chemicals because they come from plants. And as a result of that, we end up getting a lot of benefit around inflammation, decreasing inflammation, and reducing damage to our body cells through antioxidants, which is a compound a lot of our listeners have probably heard about. So most herbs and spices do have that ability to fight inflammation and to be rich in plant chemicals. And while they may be different depending on what your spice is, that's sort of a broad way in which utilizing spices in your diet can truly help your health. You might add a teaspoon of a spice to a dish, but how much do you have to consume for a spice to have a health benefit? That is such a great question. And I think that's an incredibly important question because I get asked about research often. What is the research on this spice for this particular illness? And many times the doses that we're using in clinical trials, for instance, are very much more than what a person would use in a typical dish, you know, to the point where it it wouldn't even be a healthy amount to add to a dish because it would completely overpower it and probably taste terrible. So, you know, there isn't really like a specific dose of a spice that makes it more or less healthy. And it's not necessarily that the more you use, the better that it is for you because it, like I said, it can overpower a dish and it can you know, something that can help your digestion, for instance, like cumin, when you use it sparingly or in a mixture, may be doing just that. But if you use, you know, two teaspoons of cumin in your, um, you know, digestive tea, it may actually really irritate your stomach. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to that is, you know, use them sparingly, use them in a way that tastes flavorful to you, and then build as your palate builds. And uh, the good news is, you know, there's rarely any harm in using a spice. Angel, you weren't a spice expert when you opened your shop, The Spice Suite, back in 2015. How did you start to learn about spices and how to use them? Yeah, I was an assistant principal, so I knew nothing about spices. I was um, an educator. But when I kind of literally fell into the opportunity to open this shop and decided that it would be a spice shop, I knew that what I value is learning and teaching, right? And so the best way for me to learn was to immerse myself. And so I started to travel. So in the past eight years that I've owned the Spice Suite, I've been to about 39 or 40 different countries, literally just exploring spices and flavor and food and understanding other cultures and how they use them and the nuances between an Indian curry versus a Jamaican curry or, you know, sumac um, in Turkey versus what the sumac tastes like in Afghanistan and trying to understand um, how I can help my customers approach spices in a way that isn't intimidating. We got this message from Zach who writes, I love cooking. I open my spice drawer or walk down the spice aisle at the store seeing prices ranging from $1 to $5 and taking in a smell of abundance that kings and presidents could not have dreamt of. I think about all the wars waged and gold traded over something a child with a lemonade stand could afford in our society. And Stephanie emails, my five-year-old recently asked me and my husband to consider our spices. 
and which ones we use frequently. He then encouraged us to turn over unused spices for him in his play kitchen. It's made me realize how much we actually use spices in our cooking because I didn't want to give many up to him. He insists on cinnamon in his oatmeal and applesauce and even enjoys Indian spices. Lior, you've been a chef for 30 years. How was your training in the kitchen informed how you think about spices and how you use them? Um, I think that I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing for the last uh, 17 years at La Boite without the uh, training as a cook and as a chef and traveling around the world. That's what led to the opening of La Boite in, in 2006 is reinstilling, seeing the uh, lack of knowledge or misuse of spices in professional kitchens and in homes. Um, we like to uh, think of ourselves at La Boite as, as a food company. Uh, we so happen that we sell spices, but we first of all think about food uh, and then how this food could be elevated and um, and then apply different spices from around the world, again, from from breakfast, snack, beverages, uh, desserts, sweets, uh, and anything that is in between and add spices to them. So that the professional knowledge and training as a cook and then as a chef for so many years is, is crucial to what it is that we do here. And our work with professionals, which represents about 70% of, of our business at La Boite, with food service establishments and then with home cooks, what are some general practices people might consider as as they're trying to learn their way around their spice cabinet or, or even build that cabinet up? I think that there is no magical set of spices that everybody should have. So I think it's first of all understanding what your personal preferences are. So as an example, if you don't care for much heat in your food, then you perhaps don't need to have any chilies or any peppercorns. Uh, heat could be delivered from other sources, such as ginger and so on. So I think first of all is... Um, considering adding spices to pretty much everything that you make or consume and then start discovering it with dishes that you're familiar with. So start adding small amounts into recipes that you master and that you're familiar. And then as you do that, you'll start uh, exploring more and more, simply also tasting and smelling what you have in your pantry or kitchen cabinet will give you a good indication of how pungent or how old they are. Maybe you should get rid of them or as the example of the uh, listener earlier, just give them to your child to play in their kitchen. Uh, At some point in life, they smell and taste like nothing. So I think uh, educating yourself, smelling, tasting, discovering some ethnic dishes and, and cuisines will help you also a lot. Angel, as someone who came to Spices as a home cook, you're big on following your intuition. What does that look like in practice when you're deciding which spices to use for what? Yes, I think I'm, a, you know, opposite in in terms of like being uh, formally trained. So because I have never been a chef or worked in the culinary industry, I don't know the rules. So I'm sure I'm breaking a lot of them. Um, so for me, I really treat food like fashion. And that's our, you know, our tagline because we are the ones who cater to like the home cooks and trying to make the things approachable to them. I had to find a way to communicate my philosophy around flavor. And the easiest way was to talk about flavor. I mean, talk about fashion and getting dressed. And so So I typically start with something really familiar, right? And I say that's like your little black dress in your closet. And so that could be something like salt or pepper, something that we're all pretty familiar with. Most people, you know, can can tolerate them both. And then you start to add and layer things and then you edit, right? And sometimes when I'm creating a spice blend, I will add 
five or six different things and I'll set it aside. And it's almost like when you look in the mirror and you're like, you know what? This dress is really amazing, but I don't have the right shoe. I can't wear it yet. <laughs> and I treat my, you know, spice blends the same way. I'll create something. I'll layer flavors. And it's like, this is this is okay, but I don't, I'm missing something, right? And then I'll travel and I'll go to New Delhi and I'll go to a spice souk there and I'm like, black cardamom. That's what it was missing. I would have never thought of that had I not traveled to a place where this was such a, you know, familiar thing. And then I come back home and I'll edit the recipe and that's when I'll put it on the shelf. So I really do um, treat this with, it's, it's a serious thing for me, but I also want people to play in their food, like play with your food, play in your closets, play in your kitchen so that you can really explore and not be bound by the culinary rules that make us think that we can't pair certain things together. We're discussing spices and how you use them. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Today we're getting spicy with a discussion on how to incorporate spices into our everyday meals and how they can improve our health. Dr. Maker Clark, we've been talking about the flavor that spices can add to our meals. I want to turn now to using spices for medicinal purposes. How do different cultures use spices as medicine? Yeah, no, this is this is as old as time, the use of spices and herbs as medicines. And part of what has drawn me to doing, you know, this type of work in in our modern healthcare system, because I feel like the use of herbs and spices to heal has been something that is actually an innate part of being a human and living in community and living in families. And it's been passed down very carefully and generously, those traditions and methods. Um, through through cultures, uh, for instance, I'm I'm from India. My family of origins from India, and so we have used turmeric uh, very generously, not just in our food, but also as a medicine and as a topical poultice, uh, topical treatment for wounds. So instead of putting a Band-Aid on, for instance, you'll find that you know folks who are familiar with using turmeric in their home culture might mix it with honey and then apply that paste to even an open wound. And of course, we know now that works because there's an incredible amount of antibacterial and antiviral activity that comes from both turmeric and honey. And it makes perfect sense for us to be using that uh, whenever there's a chance for infection and an open wound. So 
Um, you know, other cultures that I've seen use use medicines in topical ways that I, I've found very interesting are like the oils of coriander that are used around the navel um, in South Asian cultures when children have abdominal pain. And it's that volatile oil that's evaporating actually off of the skin that leads to a soothing sense, as well as some of the absorption of the uh, antioxidants within the coriander. There's many techniques that people have used to be able to help digest the foods that they're eating and to help you know, their, their health around the food that they're eating, even if that food isn't ideal. And I think that piece is, is really important because we've actually relied very heavily on salt, sugar, and fat to increase flavor in our food. And those, those compounds have not led to you know, great health outcomes for us as a nation. And I think spices are a way for us to return to our medicinal roots. Well, when mixed spices react to each other, for instance, according to one 2017 study in Foods Journal, using black pepper with turmeric can increase the bioavailability of the turmeric up to 200%. And bioavailability just means that how much of a substance and its properties get absorbed into your body. So, Dr. Maker-Clark, how do spices interact with one another? Are there any things we should be careful about? That's a really great example that you just mentioned of black pepper and turmeric and the increase in bioavailability. And, you know, that one's been studied, but for every every one connection that we study, there are probably thousands of others that we know, you know, we don't know anything about. So I would really say when it comes to mixing spices, again, to go with flavor and go with fits what fits your meal. Because, you know, there's a science around the the way that spices work in our body once they're consumed. But I would really encourage people to not think of it too scientifically when they're using it in their food and not be like, how much of it, what dose of this do I need to get the health benefit or what mixture do I need to make sure I'm creating the best bioavailability? Because the truth is the things that blend well together for you that taste well on your palate are usually going to be the exact thing that your body needs. And I know that doesn't sound very scientific, but the truth is I do think there's a lot of innate wisdom in what our palate um, understands when we put spices together. And I do think it's a, a matter of personal preference to a great degree. Um, but you know, turmeric and black pepper go together very well, and that's why we started studying it in the first place. That's how it's usually prepared and cooked in countries that use turmeric often is it's emulsified into an oil which by the way you can't if you just if you just use dry turmeric on a salad for instance first of all it will taste fairly terrible and secondly it will not be absorbed because you need to emulsify turmeric into a fat like an oil for it to be absorbed so you know using herbs and spices in the traditional ways will lead you to the highest bioavailability angel you blend your own spices what are you thinking about as you're making a blend. I know you're looking for a certain balance and you, you talked about sort of thinking about it the way you layer fashion, but what's a good starting point if you want to develop like a house blend for yourself? 
Uh, just to go with what feels good to you. Um, try things, start with what's familiar and then always throw in something that's a little bit unexpected and try something new. Um, my goal with blending spices for the spice suite or create, at this point, I don't necessarily blend them by hand anymore, but I create the recipes for my co-packer. Um, I try to give folks something that they can't experience elsewhere, right? So a lot of times folks will come to me and they'll either say these, like one of two things, they'll come into the shop and they'll say, hey, I'm making salmon tonight. What do you suggest I put on my salmon? And I'm like, I don't know you. I have no idea what you want your salmon to taste like, right? Like I am not, it's like walking into a perfume counter at a department store asking like, what should I smell like? You'd never do that. You would explore and you would try to figure out what your favorite scent is based on your own personal preferences. And so I ask folks to come into the spice suite the same way. Um, But the other thing that people typically do is they'll say, you know, I really want to support you guys. And I'm trying to, you know, like throw out all my other uh, spices and get spice sweet stuff. Do you have something like, insert big name there, right? Like they'll mm-hmm, insert mm-hmm. another name. And I'm like, well, I hope not because my goal is not to mimic these other brands. My goal is to give you something that you have to come back here for. So when I'm creating, I'm really trying to think about all the things I've ever experienced, all the spices I've had, the flavors I've tasted. And is this something memorable? Like, does this stand out or does this taste like something else already? Lior, what about you? How do you think about blending spices? Um. It's a, it's a kind of a two-part. We have our own creation that we've been making uh, for the last 16, 17 years that are inspired by travel, by dishes, sometimes taking a, a certain dish and, and extracting the flavor profile into a blend. And a lot of the blends that we create are partnership with other professionals from different areas, pastry chefs and chefs and bartenders, mixologists. So we'll sit down together with them and talk about what is that story that they're trying to tell and do a lot of uh, partner, partnered blend or, or collaboration blends with other. Uh, we have the ability to blend everything here in New York in-house, so we have a lot of freedom. Uh, we also work on teaching. We do spice blending classes at, at La Boite once a month, and we bring uh, people and really share with them the technique on how to blend and really encourage them to uh explore their likes and flavor profiles so that they can go home and create their own blends and their own recipes. We're discussing the uses of spices in our food. We're going to head to a quick break, and when we return, we turn up the heat and take a closer look at chilies. Stay with us. We've got a lot more still ahead. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from one of you. My grown daughter and I are very highly cayenne and Thai pepper tolerant. And whenever we go out to eat, we always want the spiciest level five they can give us. And they always look at us like, no, you don't. You really don't want that. (laughs) But we do. And we eat it. And sometimes we've gotten applause after we've finished. We love spice. 
I'm really curious, Lior, about the use of chilies because chilies can have such, they're not just about heat. They can have such a a variety of flavor and fruitiness. How can we think about the use of chilies, not just for the heat, but for some of the other flavors they can bring to our food? Yeah, as you well mentioned, I mean, first of all, there's so many chilies. And the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is obviously heat. And it's not the case. I mean, uh, yes, they do have heat, some more than others, but they bring fruit notes, they bring sweetness, acidity, sometimes smoky notes if they're, you know, just naturally have it or they're just, you know, smoked to be dried. So I think we need to think about them for all of these flavor profile when we are looking for some salinity and acidity and sweetness and fruitiness and, and not to men- not to forget texture, uh, especially if they're large flake or medium-sized flake, they do bring a really interesting bite and a texture in the dish, whether it's a raw dish or whether it's a cooked dish. So um, all of these are important to think about. So I, I invite people quite often to, before you reach out for your pepper meal or, or your pepper shaker, to think twice whether something else could be added instead of it to bring the little heat level, but also to bring a lot of complexity to the dish. We're getting lots of questions about storage of spices and how long they last. Becky says, how long can I keep a spice before it's no longer good? I have lots of experiments in my pantry, want to know when to throw things away. And Amanda asks, what should you know about how best to store your spices and how long do they typically last? Lior, first, how should we store our spices? Where should they be in our kitchen? Uh, They should be in a container with an airtight lid. You know, glass and plastic are great. They're also transparent, so you could just simply see how much you have of it versus another uh, material where you'd have that unpleasant surprise of opening and it's empty. Um, So good tight lid so that air doesn't come in. Try not to leave them near, uh, you know, the window where they're exposed to direct sunlight. There's no need to hide them in the dark in a cellar or a basement, uh, especially if you're using them quite often. Um... And then away from heat sources, humidity sources, just on a, on a shelf somewhere in your kitchen or in your drawer, in your cabinet. Uh, to me personally, uh, I'd like to see them. So if I see them, I use them. If I put them somewhere on top or in the drawer, I just don't have that uh, kind of instinct to grab and use them. So containers, a glass, do label them if the container that you purchase doesn't have a best before date. So just add, you know, a year is usually an easy date to remember. Um, and try to use them beforehand. Uh, definitely do not throw them away when that anniversary comes along, but try to use them as fast as you can. And does it matter whether you have a whole spice or a ground spice? Does that make any any difference for how long you can keep them? Like I, I have some whole nutmeg that I've had, I'm not even sure at this point, and it seems to still do what I need it to do. So whole spice will definitely last longer. You know, the, the 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 minute you grind them, they're more exposed to air and humidity, so they will fade out. However, whole spices will also kind of fade out at some point. So uh, I say that if you do have the time and energy and ambition to grind your own spices, I salute you and you should definitely do that. But, um, you know, let, let's be aware with ourselves. If you don't have that time, buy ground spices. Just buy them from a great source, uh, change them more frequently, use them more frequently. You don't have to buy whole spices for them to be good. There's a lot of pre-ground spices at a very high level. 
Angel, you've traveled to 38 countries, including India, uh, Morocco, Zanzibar, Tanzania. What lessons have you learned from these places about spices? Kind of it affirms what I know, right, which is that there really are no rules. Um, I've, I've experienced cooking in most of these places in an authentic way. I've, you know, I've cooked with folks who are native to these countries and there is no real rhyme or reason. Like they, they season food the way we season food at home, which is just smelling it. You know, you taste it as you go and you add more and you figure out what you want. So I think the biggest lesson I've learned has just been to kind of go with the flow. I think all of us have said that everyone, you know, in this conversation has said at some point, you just kind of do what feels good to you and throw any of the rules um, out the window. I did want to add, too, though, when we were talking about the spice storage, I think that there's also something that most of us do that we probably shouldn't be doing, which is season over the skillet, right? Because then you allow the condensation and the moisture to get back into that um, that jar, and we do it, right? I think everybody does it. If you're seasoning your food and you don't have enough, you, throw, you season over top of it. It's not the best thing to do, right? You should probably put it in your hand and sprinkle it on or find another way to, um, to do it so that you're not consistently doing that because that humidity from that condensation from your steam will definitely get back in the jars over time, right? It's not an immediate uh-huh. thing, but just as a rule, it's not the best practice. Okay, duly noted. Lior, you have a new cookbook about Middle Eastern cooking. It's called A Middle Eastern Pantry, Essential Ingredients for Classic and Contemporary Recipes. And we've mentioned a few spices or spice blends used in Middle Eastern cooking, like sumac, uh, harissa, and za'atar. Tell us a little bit more about these spices and what you can cook with them. Yeah, so uh, the latest book does cover the Middle East and and obviously spices are part of it, whether it's single spices like sumac or like Aleppo or Urfa chili, but then you go into uh, traditional Middle Eastern blends such as Baharat and and Dukha. Um, Like people who mentioned on the call, it's great to hear how people are now experimenting with things like coffee, tea, oatmeal, pancakes, uh, eggs, I think that uh, our goal is to bring the Middle Eastern flavor through these spices and single spice and spice blend and then have you apply them on anything that you cook at home, whether it's a meatloaf, a pasta, or whether it's a more elaborated dish, or if you're trying to make a Middle Eastern-inspired kefta or shawarma or uh, or a Persian tadig with some saffron, those are all great ways to explore them. Dr. Maker-Clark, access to spices can vary based on where you live. They can be really pricey, especially if you're talking about, you know, something like saffron or, or a small bottle of sumac can cost 7 to $8. How can people build their spice cabinets on a budget? Yeah, this is something that we cover in culinary medicine classes in our community classes often because I think it's really important to you know, acknowledge that not everybody has access to the same, you know, variety and amount of spice. I often tell my patients that it's a good idea to think about buying bulk spices and why it might it might sound like you're buying a lot. It can actually be the exact opposite because bulk buying allows you to get whatever amount you might want and need rather than like a predetermined amount that might not only be too much for your recipe, but then also end up going bad after you know a couple of years if you end up just using it one or two times and then not needing it anymore. So I think bulk buying um, from spice, spices is a great idea for um, a budget. And then also buying whole spices that you can grind, as we've talked about here, as you need them can be more economical because they last longer. A whole spice will last longer than a ground spice will when the oils start to uh, dissipate. Yeah. So, and I think that can really help bloom the flavor too. So those are two of the tips that I give patients, you know, to, to, to try to include spices, but also make sure it works for you and your budget. 
We have um, Amy saying, I'm not a big spice person. What are some basic spices to have in my cabinet to improve my cooking for others? So just, Angel, I know you don't know Amy, but if you could just (laughs) give her three spices, just like try these three. What three would you tell her to add to her cabinet? I would say garlic, uh, cumin, and cardamom. And those three can actually work together really well, too. Lior, what about you? Uh, Get some good salt, some Aleppo chili, and smoked paprika. Ooh. Oh, all of those sound amazing. We've been speaking with Angel Gregorio. She owns the Spice Suite. That's a spice shop in Northeast Washington, D.C. Also with us, Gita Maker-Clark. She's the Director of Integrative Nutrition and Advocacy at North Shore University Health System. And Lior Lev Sarkars. He's a chef and the owner of La Boite. That's a spice shop in New York City. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. A big thanks to the team at KUNC for hosting us. And special thanks to Desmond O'Boyle and Drew Bodker. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com slash NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.